Welcome to Can I Speak to Your Product Manager? We get the nitty gritty with your favorite PMs. My name is Kyle Kovach, VP of Product at Zora. And I'm Lucas Weber, Director of Product Manager at Zora. On today's show, we have Avantika Gomes, Group Product Manager at Figma. And we're going to get started and get to know our guest a little bit with a rapid fire session of Ship It or Skip It. What do you want to do? Let's do it. No. No. Maybe. Yes. This first time actually we're in the studio together, so we'll see how this goes. But we wanted to, to play this game and learn a little bit more about yourself. We're going to give you like four product ideas, and you're going to do a quick like, is it something I want to ship it, like bring it to market? I love this idea. Or skip it, bury it in the woods, and never have it see the light of day. So that's the, that's the premise, but it gives you an idea of like, kind of a quick thinking of what your thoughts are on, on these ideas. So we're going to start with number one. With the holiday season approaching, we're seeing a lot of like, decorations. What is your take on the inflatable holiday decorations? Oh, I'm a fan of anything holiday. And I go to the Thanksgiving parade where they have all the floats. So I'm definitely a ship it on that okay. one. Okay, we'll ship it. All right, I agree with that. That's a good one. You know, there's a new thing, not just inflatable, but now they're ginormous. They're like 50 feet high mm. decoration. Mm-hmm. That's the latest craze. So okay. it's bigger than your house. So, so Santa can just clip it on its way to yep. the... Yep. Okay, yep. Good. That's yes. right. Get more presents in that <laughs> one. All right. The second one. So, you know, I've, I have I know... If, a lot of people out there struggle falling to sleep. There's counting sheep, there's more milk, whatever. There is a product that came out called Chill Pill. It's a handheld device that you hold and it produces like electric vibrations and it apparently allows you to fall to sleep faster. What do you think? Do you think it's a product that would I work? like it. You do? Okay. I so like got- it. I don't know if I'd, I'd hold something while I'm sleeping, but anything that improves quality of sleep feels like it's going to improve quality of life. All right, so. we'll, we'll, we'll that's a ship it. That's a good, that's a good one. I have a competing product called the Wake Up Pill, right. which shocks you in the yeah, morning. That's on the other hand. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Or it just it, it makes your hand punch you. Yeah, it just it creates a <laughs> electric charge. Okay, the third one was a crazy. I don't know what's the right thing, but you know, purification, air purification. Mm-hmm. You know, the times we wore those things, masks, yep. right? Yep. There is a headphone that has a built-in air purification system. What is your thoughts on that one? It's a real product, so we, you know, for those who bought it, we there. But what's your, what's your? Did you buy it? No, I did not buy okay, it. Okay, just checking. Right. I don't know if I'd use that or want to keep my headphones on every time I want. Okay, so to it's a, definitely a skip it a out. Skip it and, for me. Okay, yes. okay. But what if it was in the shape of a Darth Vader helmet? Mm. <laughs> Something you could wear every day, basically. I think that might make it worse. Okay, oh. <laughs> and the last one. It's called the Happa Fork, very similar to the, I think the same company was thinking of the Chill Pill, but a fork that vibrates when you're eating too fast. So if you're eating too fast and you need to chew your food, it will vibrate and shock you. Oh, I'm into these <laughs> shocking tools for have a theme. It will vibrate to tell you to slow down and eat your food. So the Happa Fork product launch, are we shipping it or skipping it? It's, it's one of those things that I think I need, but I would hate. So I'm going to skip it. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for playing. We should make all product decisions this way. All right. Excellent. Avantika, thank you for for playing the game with us. And now on to the real thing. We wanted to switch into PM Power Moves. Powering up. Power Moves. Here's where we'd want to chat with you about what you do every day and specifically dive into the product management activities that are important to you today. So 
tell us, what do you do? I'm a group product manager at Figma. I've been at the company for a couple of years now, and I support our design systems, prototyping, and developer tools teams. So all the teams within Figma who are thinking about how do you take those designs and bring them closer to real-life product interfaces. And before Figma, I've, I've held product roles at a few companies, Google, Microsoft, Birchbox, Pinterest. But I see the common thread for me, the thing that I get excited about is working on collaborative and visual tools that really help people express themselves. So Figma felt like a perfect fit. So you're working at Figma, we're all very familiar, but are you working on the actual Figma core product that does the mockups or what's your focus? Yeah, so I've been most involved in some of our recent launches that bring bridge the gap between design and code. So most recently, we launched a product called DevMode. It's this new space within Figma that helps developers more efficiently turn designs into code. But it might actually help, before I jump into that, just to take a step back and tell you a bit more about how we how we actually got here, how the evolution of Figma took us yeah, here. Yeah, great. Like you said, I think most people know us for our design tool. Uh, Figma, Figma Design was the first design tool built for the web, and it made uh, sharing designs as easy as sending somebody a link. Uh, and so from the start, I think Figma was really focused on bringing in more than just designers into the design process. And a big part of the emphasis has always been around collaboration. And then... In 2021, we launched FigJam. This is an online whiteboarding tool that's really built for the entire product team to ideate and visually communicate. It's a really simple interface that's really built for team collaboration and particularly geared towards the two-thirds of Figma users that aren't designers. And so that's sort of all built up towards most recently this June when we launched DevMode, which is really like the first product that we've optimized for developers specifically but really, this this idea of supporting more than just designers, supporting the end-to-end product lifecycle is something that Figma's been thinking about from the start. Very interesting. I mean, you say that a lot of your users of the product, right, aren't designers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have specific metrics, but it sounds like the next big tranche of users that you saw was developers, and that's why dev mode, right? And, and certainly from... My experience here, we're actually currently designing a, a new product. Yeah. A mediation product. Right. So product managers are probably another big... Exactly. Right. So that would be one part. But obviously, we just come in, review, right, make comments and, and so on. But the, the big interaction is actually, I, I, I think, between the developers implementing the, the UI ultimately That's right. uh, through the design process. Right. And the designers themselves. So this this sounds like a great, great way to go. But I find it, I mean, helpful as a product manager to use it just to, if you want to articulate an idea or an iteration of an idea. Hmm. Then okay. you can use that to one show customers and show even, you know, even prospects what you're thinking about doing. And so that I've used I've used it heavily because of that. So Aventica can and should Kyle use dev mode? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we definitely have a lot of developers to the point you made earlier. Like a third of Figma users are developers. And so this is okay. definitely trying to go after this growing audience for us. But yeah, to Kyle's point, I think we encourage PMs to join the design process. I know I personally love to ping pong ideas off my designer and, and sketch out some riffs. And so I do see that being a direction we want to move in where we really lower the floor for anyone to be a part of the design process. I'm not sure DevMode specifically, it is really built for developers, but we want to make it something that is a lot simpler so anybody can can participate in the process. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So so tell us a little bit more about DevMode, right? First of all, it feels like it's a departure from, again, the, the traditional audience that you've catered to. So mm-hmm. I don't know, is this something that Figma was familiar with? Is this a brand new you know, persona or, or set of users that you're working with? And if it is new, you know, how'd you go about figuring out that this would actually work? I think bridging the gap between design and code isn't, isn't a new focus. I think, I think Dylan, our CEO, has been talking about it since 2017. So developers have always been on our mind. But 
this has definitely been the first product that's really just purpose built for that persona. And yeah, to your point, I'm not going to lie, building a tool for developers within what's historically been considered a design tool has a lot of challenges. When we set out to build dev mode, we know we had so much to learn about the audience, the nuances of their workflows, their tool chains, their preferences. And we've had decades to build up that same intuition around designers. So we really had to quickly build our knowledge base around the persona. To help with this, to accelerate this, in 2021, we actually acquired a company called Visly. And with them, they brought a lot of developer intuition and months of research on this space that really allowed us to accelerate the work stream. So that, that's really what kickstarted this, this project. For my background of developers, they can be, a, what's the right word I'm trying to say? Fickle bunch? <laughs> they jump to assumptions or reject a product very, very quickly. So how did you navigate working with such a discerning pilot of a persona and navigate that ship? And what are some of the things you learned of how did you treat the developer and get what you want without getting them thinking, oh, it's, I'm not using that more. You know, it doesn't work for me. I'm out. How did you, how'd you navigate that, that, that prickliness of that persona? Yeah, you're totally right. I think they are very skeptical about new tools, especially given an audience that has to juggle so many different tools on the day-to-day basis. But the other really big challenge we faced was also that the sheer diversity of the developer audience, the needs of, a, of developers within a two-person fintech startup, for instance, is vastly different from what developers within Meta might need. And Figma supports all of these customers. And so a big challenge for us was really trying to figure out how do we accommodate all of these different needs for this this group without creating yet another tool that they have to manage and think about. I think our best learning there was honestly just to test and learn as much as we could. At Figma, we're really, really, we've built this really strong culture of listening to users, bringing things to users, getting their feedback and iterating from there. So we've actually, we've been in beta. We were in a public beta since config, which was in June. That was our flagship conference in June. And we've been listening to feedback ever since. We've gotten so much feedback since we've launched. We've been iterating very closely on everything they've been saying. And so I really would say just trying to listen to your user base as much as possible has very much helped us. And then to the point around how do you deal with such a diverse audience, I think one of the learnings for us was really building with customizability front and center. And so with dev mode, plugins and extensions were something we thought about from the start, not an afterthought to really account for all those different needs and different frameworks that developers might be looking for that it's it's hard for us to just build for everybody from the start. That makes sense. So the extensibility is there. And I, I would assume that you're maybe providing some defaults or preset set of components for certain type of developers if they're using a particular framework or another yes. to really help them get started very, very quickly, right? And then then adjust and tweak it as, exactly. as they need to their needs. Very interesting. Yes, okay, that's, ex- that's exactly right. And what did you use for some of that feedback? Did you have something in app, in app that helped to kind of pull in that feedback, or or some of the mechanisms you did to to drive drive that? Yeah. So even before we launched publicly, we do a lot of internal dog fooding at Figma. And so you know the first hurdle was how can we make this a product that our own development team gets excited about using? So we spent months and months really just iterating to find fit with that audience. But obviously, we don't represent the needs of every developer, so we had to get this out into a public beta, like I said, as soon as we could. And then we did have this this giant button when we launched at the top of dev mode that just asked for feedback. And boy, did we get it. During the Mm -hmm. first 24 hours after launch, we got 2,000 pieces of feedback. And every single piece of feedback was funneled to the team via a Slack channel. And I can personally attest to the fact that I have read every single one of those messages that came in through the first few weeks of launch. So we really, really tried to stay close to 
keeping our ears on the ground, hearing what developers thought of the product and, and being fast to respond. We were actually able to ship over 200 fixes and improvements to dev mode within the first two months of this open beta. So we really want to make sure we're listening to what these developers are saying. Impressive. So, I mean, first of all, just amazing response, right? Mm -hmm. Brand new products mm -hmm. for, you know, something new that you guys clearly didn't cater to before, a new audience. But, and so, you know, I, I guess with the acquisition of the company you mentioned and, and some of the research, I think you hopefully were coming in with an idea that, yeah, this is probably a, a good idea to build and there's probably demand for it. But what a validation to then get upon launch of the beta. I get so many comments back and, and hopefully from a, a variety of, you know, developers rather than just one or, one angry one with generative right. AI generated. Yeah, just, just keep, you know, putting <laughs> new messaging back and forth. And was the button big enough? Did they or it was hide it too? It Did you move it? it Did was, you move it around? <laughs> it was bigger than our designers were comfortable with. Let's oh, just okay. say, but yeah. I think it was a worthwhile trade-off just to to make sure we're getting the feedback we need. We also sent out recurring surveys to to you know developers using the product every month to get their feedback in a more predictable way. But um, we just wanted to make sure there was an always accessible way for people to report a bug or share their thoughts. Yeah, yeah. that in-app feedback is is a, is a crucial piece, but I think we learned from our lesson of when we do it too, is, you know, we started experimenting with in-app messaging and we were getting good responses. Like I think you said, right at 2000, but we, we were getting a lot of good responses, but then we started getting like really, really negative ones and, and strange ones. Like, why are you doing this? What, what's going on? Like you're hurting me. And like, what is going, what are we doing to that? And we realized we were popping up the feedback during the middle of their process. So it was, it was like, you know, they're, let's say, you know, there's a, a billing user and they're, you know, running like a bunch of aging, invoice aging tasks. And then like right to the end, we pop up, how do you like the product? And it's like, wait a minute, I just want to go home and I want to finish this. So the, the trick we learned is make sure you don't interrupt their flow while you give feedback. Try to get it in a subtle way. If they invoke from a button's a good idea, a feedback drawer is a good idea. Don't, don't interrupt their process. You'll get some very negative, angry responses. Agreed. So, nothing learned there. <laughs> yeah. So amazing response initially. How How's it been going on and what's your interaction with your user base? The, the question is, you know, are developers taking it up? Are you tracking any other metrics to show engagement with the product? What's the general reception to, to all the development you're doing? Yeah, I think so far the reception has been has been really promising, where we do measure the percentage of our weekly active developers who are using dev mode. And so the stats are looking pretty healthy. They are growing. I think, honestly, one of the biggest challenges we faced initially was awareness. Developers were coming into Figma to get what they need. They weren't really hunting around or looking to discover new features. And so we had to really communicate as much as we could in channels that developers were paying attention to that this is a new space for them. But once they discovered it, once they started using it, we did find that retention was really good. Adoption was pretty good. So generally positive. And we are tracking towards moving out of beta within the next few months. So all the signals are pointing, are promising the start of next year, we want to go into GA. So that's a good, that's going to be an exciting milestone for the team. Got it. Got it. And on the beta program, are you selecting the particular maybe teams that you want to work with or developers that you want to work with? Are you restricting number of, of beta users or is it more like, you know, Google Mail, which Open. it's, yeah. I think, still in beta, right? Uh, yeah, alpha. Well, fun. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but open. Just right? kidding. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think they've come out of beta finally. Yeah. But the point was it was open to anybody, right? And for yeah. a very, very long time. Right. What are your kind of criteria for running the beta program to, to make it successful and, and get the feedback you need? Yeah, well, we 
the milestones we took, we started with an internal alpha, like I mentioned, internal dog fooding, make sure that mm-hmm. developers at the company found value. That was the first milestone. Then we moved into a private beta where we did select a couple of companies. We had some criteria around larger organizations with somewhat mature design systems. These are the companies we felt would get the most value from DevVolt. So we wanted to start there. And importantly, we also needed to make sure we had a strong design engineering champion within those orgs that could help us collect the feedback that would be most useful for us. And so we, we were in that private beta for three months. But in June, we actually opened that up. So now we are in an open beta phase where anybody can try the product. So any developers listening on this call or even PMs, if you wanted to check it out, there's a toggle in Figma. You can go in, you can try the product out and see how it works. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to try it after this. Yeah. <laughs> my open right now. We'll give it a try. Do you guys also work with any sort of community products or anything like that to spread the word or, or is it more external and and right now the that awareness building is just done through you guys either directly reaching out to to potential developers and that way or you know how are you driving awareness and, and will you change that once obviously you go gee i would presume that there will be a big announcement right oh yes we definitely leaned hard on the community aspect to drive awareness this is something that that we we did a lot of even in the early days of figma is really tap into the community, the designer community, generate that proactive love for the product from the ground up. And so we wanted, we definitely wanted to try the same approach with developer audience. And so we've been doing a lot out of the product as well. We have developer advocates who, you know, are doing live streams, they're going to events, they're, they're, they're doing events with other developers. We just had our engineering director do a podcast about dev mode as well. So we're really trying to spread the word because our typical marketing channels tend to reach designers and we, we definitely needed to spread our approach a little bit more to tap into the developer audience, which is new for us. So sounds like obviously any PMs trying to push their product into a new area, a couple of things to, to take away from here. And I th- I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it sounds like, you know, a great kickstart with, with some research and, and knowledge that came in into your organization from another company that you guys acquired. Quick iterations, very quick response to feedback, it sounds like, which was vociferous, right? And then now continued development and spreading the word and, and opening up the beta as you go. That's kind of what I'm picking out of. Are there any other things that you felt were particularly helpful, right, in, in bringing this product to where it is today and hopefully forward outside of what I've just kind of quickly summarized? I think we, I would definitely reemphasize just building a knowledge, a knowledge base around the persona that you're building for. And, and like I mentioned, with the acquisition, with doing a ton of research, we, we had to spend a lot of time getting crisp on the problems we were trying to solve for with dev mode. You know, and, and maybe this will resonate with some of the PMs in the audience, because we've had a front row seat to this, this collaboration between designers and developers. But we were really trying to solve for that collaboration and how we can reduce some of those inefficiencies in the process. And so, you know, we know that miscommunication can lead to mistakes. That is a problem we were trying to solve. We knew that quality and consistency was very top of mind for developers, especially when your organization grows. You're trying to move fast. Large companies really want development teams to be using reusable components. And then we knew developers, you know, velocity and efficiency is really important to them. And all teams want to be building faster and shipping with greater velocity. And so we heard from developers that they aren't actually looking to spend more time in Figma. They want to spend less time. So we're just trying to give them what they need as quickly as possible, get them back to doing what they do best. And so really being crisp on the problems you were trying to solve up front was important. And then spending the time to then iterate on the solutions and learn from the feedback was the next step from there. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense, which I think brings us to the fact that hopefully 
your product as much as you say that your you know users, particularly developers, want to spend as little time as in Figma as possible. But I think the whole point is that it's actually less time spent debugging, right, and bug fixing, and more around innovation. And so the developer, you know, they probably don't want to spend too much time there. But if they get what they need out of it fast, exactly. the collaboration kind of checks the box. But the designer can stay and, and you know do more and iterate on that and collaborate quickly and then get you know kind of move forward. So I think that's a it's that balance of you know, like even with our product, you know, we don't, some don't want them always in the product. We, you know, we tend to know when some parts of the product, you know, you set and forget it, but some parts you want more. So there's that, that balance of how much you actually want them in the tool or how much you actually want to improve efficiency or collaboration, kind of whatever problem you're trying to solve, you focus on that. What are some of the, like, maybe off the wall or crazier requests that maybe you have gotten from your feedback around dev mode or, or anything that's cutting edge that you're, you're thinking of bringing that maybe wouldn't be expected? Interesting. I mean, we had a lot of feedback around like, could dev mode just automatically gen magically generate like code and like a working product with a click of a button. And I think that's a really exciting and alluring premise, but it's quite difficult. We all want this magic button that you can push and it spits out a great working product. But like we talked about, every developer is different. Your code base is different, especially when you're mm -hmm. working in these large orgs, something that's super automated and like a black box actually isn't what, what most of our users are looking for they want a starting point that they can then use and customize to the way that they write code. And so we, we definitely got some of these requests around, you know, just do the work for us. And and we're, tr we're trying, I think there's- We'll, we'll take the credit, right? That. Yeah. <laughs> but my, my, my guess is that the developer didn't want that part because I, it feels like that's a PM or a UI person who wanted that, otherwise you're out of job. You kind of you yeah. kind of miss the developer. Like, if I hit this button, the code gets generated. Hmm. So why do I need to collaborate with you? Yeah. Why are you like, still here? just do this? Right, yeah. So. But then again, I mean, we're hearing a lot about, you know, code co-pilots, yeah, yeah. generative I, I was, AI, I was, I was, right? So I think, no, we don't yeah, expect yeah. there's some things like that, but it's all about making the developer more productive, Got right? It. And writing more code, not just for code's sake, but more effective sure. code, right? Are you making any maybe future plans to maybe, you know, create some boilerplate code or even integrate certain, you know, generative AI thing features to, to help developers out be even more effective? Yeah, well, actually today we do generate boilerplate code. We do have some, as you said, native frameworks that we support, like SwiftUI and Jetpack Compose and CSS out of the box. And then you have all these plugins that you can then use to customize the code output to the way that you, you write code. I think we're definitely thinking about how we can push that customization further especially leveraging the power of companies' design systems. So with a design system, these mm. companies have already written code for these reusable components and building blocks that they want their developers and their designers to be using. And so the closer we can get to just surfacing those reusable components and the code for those components to developers, I think it's going to make them more efficient. It's going to drive that quality and consistency we talked about. And it's also going to be something that designers will be happy about. So definitely that's a future direction we're pushing on. Yeah, definitely thinking about the way that generative AI could further automate some of the more repetitive or manual tasks that developers have to take. But at Figma, I think we're definitely thinking about AI more through the lens of what are some of the problems that AI could solve versus trying to build AI features because it's 2023 and everyone's talking about AI. So there's a lot we could do and we're really excited about, about the future. Awesome. I wanted to shift gears a little bit, Avantika, and actually just looking at, you know, things you've done, things that you're involved with, I'm sure within your professional capacity, but also outside of work, you know, your own women in products uh, groups, right, and, and leading some of those efforts there. I noticed particularly at Zora, our PMs, 
you know, we don't have a, an equal 50-50 representation gender-wise on the PM side. I, I'm going to drop that uh, yeah, it's, note. It's, it's close, uh, right? It's close. Yeah. I was wondering if there's anything from, from your perspective, having worked with those groups, and I'm thinking encouraging women to, to join product management, is there anything there that you could share with our audiences that you feel would, would help in, in getting more women interested in product management? Oh, yeah. So this is a topic I'm very passionate about. Like you hinted at, I actually founded and led the women in product group at Pinterest, the company I worked for before Figma. So I'm really excited that that you guys are thinking about this. I think there's a couple of things that companies can do. The first, I mean, it feels obvious, but the first step is really just to be able to track how you're doing, which sounds like you are. But there's a lot of ways that diversity metrics can go wrong. But at minimum, making sure that you know where your PM organization stands, what percentage of your PM team are underrepresented minorities or women. And importantly, how does that stat change at different levels? Because often we do see that the stat can get skewed as an aggregate, but as you get more senior, the percentage of women shrinks even further. And so definitely tracking, I think, is the first step. And then secondly, this is something I talk about a lot, even at Figma, is like, how can we eliminate bias when we interview PMs? This is obviously a generalization, but I've observed that women tend to be more reluctant to talk about themselves and their accomplishments. And, you know, even I personally had some imposter syndrome coming on this podcast to talk about the stuff I've done. But especially in interviews, they're not going to be selling themselves as strongly as, as their male counterparts. And, and as a result, I can't tell you how many times I've seen interview feedback like, oh, this person just didn't seem confident enough or they're too shy. Yeah. Hmm. And so definitely finding objective rubric to evaluate candidates for these PM roles trying to really avoid some of these stereotypes of you know, confidence or shyness. Those are those tend to not be really objectively measured. But if you can actually try to understand their accomplishments, give them actual exercises that can test how they're actually good at the job, not just how they talk about the job. I think those things can really help just in, in improving the pipeline of people you're bringing into the, into the company. And then mm -hmm. I, I'll say that just bringing diverse PMs into your org isn't enough. You really have to be supporting women, women of color, and helping them achieve their full potential as leaders as well. Because like I said, many times I see a lot of a good distribution of diversity at the IC levels, but senior management is where things really do change. There have been a lot of studies, studies that talk about, you know, this broken rung where gender disparity is, is really comes to play in the first step up from entry level to manager. And even for myself personally, making that shift to become a manager took a lot of self-advocacy. And so because of this broken rung, women tend to fall behind. It's hard to catch up. And so thinking about ways that your organization can actually support the needs of these diverse audiences, things like more workplace flexibility helps, you know, with primary caregivers for children, addressing microaggressions in the workplace head on, building more mentorship and sponsorship programs. So things that don't just bring bring women in, but what are the things that can actually keep them and help them help them flourish? Yes, it's all, all every stage, right, from just understanding where you're at right now to, to hiring to actually retention yes. and promotion. Promotion cycles, yeah. Important. Excellent. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Anything you wanted to, to add at the end just to tell our audience? Yeah, well, I thought maybe it could be fun to end on a, a bit of a hot take. And I think especially something that I've evolved my thinking on having worked at Figma. You know, there's this, this mantra that a lot of PMs talk about, ship fast and break stuff. I think it was something that, that originally came from Facebook in the early days. And I, I used to work as a growth PM. So it's something I lived and breathed, just like velocity and shipping things as quickly as you can, launching sooner than you're comfortable. But since joining Figma, I'm really starting to challenge this mentality, especially working at a SaaS tool. You know, quality issues in, in, in workplace tools can really impact the users who are relying on us for their work and spending, you know, designers spend upward of 40 hours a week in Figma. 
we really do believe that, you know, quality matters, polish matters. When we first officially launched Figma, we really limited ourselves to a core set of features, made sure that every one of those features felt polished and well-designed. And I really believe that's partly why designers find Figma so, so magical. When we talk to designers and research about their, why they like Figma so much, they talk about how the product feels. And it's almost like talking to a musician about their favorite instrument. It's just a feel that you get for the product. It's not about any feature. And I think that really only comes when you take the time to think deeply about the details, micro interactions, the edge cases. You know, we spend time even debating things like keyboard shortcuts. And so, you know, we really bias towards having a high quality bar. And, you know, even if sometimes that comes at the expense of, of velocity, that's a trade-off we, we are yeah. open to making. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A very interesting perspective. And certainly I've tried to ship things faster, right? MVP, all this other fun stuff, right? But you, you learn a lot when you ship fast, but you also, as you get up market, and deal with enterprise customers, they, they expect a, a, a quality level. And so you, you have to also keep in mind your existing customers and, and your reputation. And when you do that, sometimes you can't always ship things fast. You have to think through and make sure what your landing is going to want help the customers that have been using your product, but also when the new enterprise high level grade, they want to think of you as being enterprise grade. So yeah. a, that's a very key point. Really appreciate that, Avantika. Great insights. And thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I think that was a, a great conversation. I think what I got out of it was, you know, I think when she was talking about being, you know, crisp on the problem, when she was talking mm -hmm. about like, you make sure you, you really, you know, know your, 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 your knowledge base of, of your, of your persona and make sure that you know what the problem you're trying to solve. Like for the developers, it was that collaboration. Yep. And so if they didn't focus on that and they said, well, why are these developers going in and out and not using the system that, that might have thrown it in a whole different direction? But they realized collaboration was the key. Mm -hmm. That's the problem we want to solve. And if we're solving that, I don't care if they're in and out for every, you know five minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds, they're collaborating. And that's a good yep. win. And I think that last hot take, you know, we take the heart from our product too. It's like, we want to ship things fast to get that out in the market and learn from our customers. But we also want to make sure we given the best quality of a product, make sure, you know, it's tested, works end to end. I mean, we have a lot of products in, in our suite yeah. and they value that it works from, you know, from our quote to the initial order to all, you know, from payments yeah. to revenue and making sure that, you know, the customers and feel like they're, you know, QAing our product is, is a concern, especially when you move off market. So that hot take is great because like, I, I always felt like, you know, in the beginning, you know, here from Facebook, like break things and do things that's exciting. But when you get to a certain point you gotta switch gears a little bit and i think that was a good hot take would you yeah. would you take what you think yeah no i obviously agree with with your takeaways a couple of things one i'm, I'm seeing a lot of pms and particularly companies going after adjacencies to their core thing right so it is recognizing that there are other personas that are involved in the process of using uh, your product we see this particularly with electronic invoicing mm -hmm. and our tax yeah. uh, vendors right that, that's an adjacency it's you know they calculate tax and now there's a mandate around taxes and electronic invoices so we see that natural fit for them to to extend to that around compliance so that's part of it the other part you know the the whole ship fast and fail fast etc it, it also will vary depending on on the product and service you're providing, right? With arguably Facebook, you know, if something breaks, you know, maybe you won't see that cute picture of a kitten, right? <laughs> right? On the flip side, and this is standard comp size stuff, right? If you make a bug in an MRI machine or an X-ray machine, which is the historical story, right? right. Somebody That's gets zapped. 
and that's somebody's life, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's bigger stakes, yeah, bigger, bigger stakes, right? So not to belittle things, oh, but there's ways to, to go around it with the alpha beta programs, right? Going from private beta to more public beta, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, as is saying from Azura perspective, we're basically a, a financial system. Right. And so we have to be, you know, absolutely on our game from being precise, accurate, and correct. Dollars count. Can't can't round up on the wrong no, time. No, no, <laughs> not for lack of trying. Right. But, well, uh, you know, yeah, I think it's called cooking the books. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's frowned upon. That's right. That's right. So, the, so that's that's obviously a big. Uh, the other aspect of it was again, and this was my interest. Obviously, at Zora, we have a, a very in depth and, and and comprehensive DEI program, right? And so it was interesting to to get a take from Avantika on the efforts she's yeah. she's making and the key things to focus on. And I think there is that, is there a shortcut to this, mm. right? To solving the diversity question. And and I think frequently people will focus on, hey, we'll just get more candidates in our pool and, and be done with it, right? But I think the important part, and honestly, from my own personal experience, it feels that there is no shortcut. It is actually the full process of both, you know, obviously the candidate pool, but also hiring and then supporting and mentoring folks that are coming through and obviously working to promote them from within as, as, as it takes. So it's not just that the interview may be different, but also the way you mentor and sponsor. Is, is that mentorship that, that kind of mentoring throughout the life cycle of their yeah. of their career, right? Exactly. Not just like, okay, we just got a bunch of, you know, individual contributors, we're done. It's yeah. like, how do we cultivate them and how do I grow them yeah. the next yeah. leaders? We fit the ratio, we're, yeah. we're good, right? Not, not, not the case, but absolutely. So those were the takeaways. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation with Avantika Gomes. Please join us next time on our next episode of our podcast. Hit the subscribe button and we'll see you then.